Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Newtown Theatre. Please welcome a man who has just had another opportunity to assassinate a major political figure. Let's find out if he did it. It's Richard Herring! <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you very much! Hello, Edinburgh! It's good to be back. Feels like I was just here yesterday. Bang! Yeah, I was, I was here. <laughs> was here yesterday. Uh, so, welcome uh, to Richard Herring's Lighting Scottish Tartan podcast. Uh, it's new direction for the podcast. You've got to keep it fresh. There's so many podcasts now, aren't there? Uh, so, what, every day I'm just going to choose a different Scottish tartan and set fire to it. And I'm going to carry on doing that until Scotland agrees just to become part of England, as it should be. All right? We want our stunning skin back. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm starting with the Agnew Ancient uh, and see, see if any of the Agnew clan will be upset with. Not really, but I was, uh, I was hanging out with Nika, Burn, Nika Burns and all the people who worked at the Edinburgh Fringe in the 80s and 90s for nothing and have managed to get uh, brilliant jobs in theatre and the media and expect people today to be able to do the same without realising there are literally a hundred times more people up here and fewer jobs. Uh, and they all call it Rallastapa. That was a little bit of satire there. It's a little bit of satire. Following the Fringe news. Uh, so yeah, I was just backstage uh, in my dressing room, and uh, John McDonnell, the, the leader of the Labour Party, uh, was <laughs> the English Labour Party. He was in my dressing room, just hanging out like he owned the place. Could have done, he looks quite wily, I reckon. I didn't have any weapons with me, but I've had an opportunity to kill. I could have killed Michael Gove several times, actually. Uh, I could have killed Nigel Farage. I was on a dark corridor at midnight behind Nigel Farage, no one else around. And I could have killed John McDonald. If I took out, if I'd taken all of them out, I mean, it would have been pretty good to escape the first two undetected. So who's, who's killing all these politicians? Uh, don't kill politicians. It's only a joke. If anyone listening at home, don't, and if you do kill politicians, don't blame my podcast. For, for, <laughs> we don't need that kind of... We don't need that kind of... Oh, no, the mic's cut off because uh, John McDonald's... Is it still working or is it just my ears? There, we're back. Oh, don't, don't fucking mock John McDonald. <laughs> Is all the union, the union, the electricians union there. <laughs> Let's all just talk it out, folks. That's, that's the message of my bit of satire there. I didn't, I would never be violent, mainly because they could punch me quickly back. Uh, <laughs> yesterday I was discussing the value of my penis. Um, there was a new story about a man who uh, went in for a bladder operation and had his penis circumcised <laughs> instead. I mean, it wasn't a, a choice by him, it was an accident. But he got £20,000 in compensation. So I was trying to work out how much the whole thing would be worth, because I don't really use mine much more. And it's in, with Brexit coming up, it'd be nice to have that little nest egg to fall back on. Uh, but I think I might have to just take my cock to the Antiques Roadshow, which has to be a certain age, doesn't it, to be an antique? But I think it would qualify. Just flop it out in front of Arthur Negus. It's been a while since I've watched the Antiques Roadshow. See what he'll give me for it. Uh, I've got, I, well, I am actually... I, I, the one thing I re regret about dying, which will happen to me at one point, is that my penis will cease to exist. That is... I was looking at it the other day, thinking that should survive, that should survive beyond... It's a wonderful... I've got a really nice one, that's what I'm saying. And it should survive beyond... I'm, I'm actually less upset about dying myself than the fact my penis has to go at the same time. Although I did go to the Icelandic Penis Museum and, and a man has donated his penis to that. So I might, I might donate my penis after to you, Liam. That might be the price for coming to every... Oh, God, that was the wrong thing to say. Uh, 
<laughs> um, uh, very excited by the news about indestructible water bears on the moon. Don't know if you saw that. That's worth checking out on the BBC News site. <laughs> There's indestructible water bears on the moon now. An Israeli rocket crashed with some little mites on it, and they're, they're up in the moon. And they can't be destroyed, so they're there. It's very exciting. Um, Liam gave my wife, uh, who's in a fantastic show called Drunk Women Solving Crime, uh, some uh, crunchy nuggets in a bag last night and instructed that she had to eat them in front of me because he knows that I am not eating chocolate this year. <laughs> that's the, that's the kind of, and he's the person who likes this show the most. <laughs> that's, that's where we've got to. So um, uh, coming up this week on the podcast, if you want to come again, uh, there's, there's not a bad turnout for the... Uh, for, for Black Wednesday, our first Wednesday of the first week. So thank you for everyone who uh, came. Uh, tomorrow, we've got John Robbins. And uh, talking of Iceland, we've got Schnollaug Ludwigsdotter. And uh, we'll find out how close I've come to saying that correctly tomorrow, who is an Icelandic comedian. Uh, we're at an international festival, and I've heard fantastic stuff about her. Uh, and then later in the week, Spencer Jones and Janie Godley and Ashley Story are all coming together. There's Tony Slattery on Sunday, which should be very entertaining. Uh, and we have Jem Brister uh, on, um, uh, on Saturday. So do come along. Also, people like Richard Osman and all sorts of people coming on later. So if you're at home listening and you're going to come up to Edinburgh, please come along. Uh, if you're at home listening to all these podcasts... Uh, uh, and not coming to the festival, why not join the Rahalastapa? Thank you. That's very low key there for a while. I mean, I know it's the first Wednesday, but fucking put an effort in. <laughs> um, uh, go to gofaststripe.com slash badges and you can join in with that. We'll talk a little bit more about stuff like that in, the, in between the two guests. My first guest today uh, has literally just arrived. It was very exciting. Uh, she's best known for being the makeup artist on Hunky Wonder. That's why we're here today. And she was also the still photographer on that as well. You may not know that. That's something she keeps secret. Uh, she's, a, she's a woman of many talents. Will you please welcome Jade Adams, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> welcome. Come here. Thank you so much for coming along. Sit down. Pick up a microphone so you can be heard. Hi. You know how it works. Yes, hello. Uh, comedy business. How are you doing? Are you okay? I'm very well. I think I very much suit this chair that you've got me sat <laughs> in. I think we've got it especially for you. You've come in sort of royal robes. And I have. Sort of orange robe. Well, I really like the, the fact that this is one of the biggest chairs I've sit in. It's still snug. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine will get snugger as the, uh, as the fringe progresses if the, uh, my intake of Haagen-Dazs is anything to go by. <laughs> Other ice creams are available. They're not sponsoring me. I don't know why I'm giving them the time of day. Um, so, what's the, what, what, you were you're, you're, you're a makeup artist as well, or was this just... Uh, the I can't believe that you've brought that up. I know. Well, I, I, find, I find out everything about my guests. My mate Dave Bustle, <laughs> he did some, like, filming, or he got some, like, funding for some short films, and then he put a message out on Facebook. This was about in, like, 2011, when I was trying to be a stand-up. Yeah. And uh, he put a message out, and I'll be, be honest with you, I wanted to be in it, but he put a message out looking for a makeup artist. I looked down, and I was like, I got some makeup. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just rocked up and did some makeup. And then I was a, uh, so there was one episode where he took photographs of the whole thing, and it was done like in a sort of, uh, you know, photographic way, like the oh, story yeah. followed whilst it was like, and I just took the photographs right. with an SLR that my dad had got me for finally graduating because I took a little bit longer than everyone else. <laughs> um, so they bought me like a sort of like a, just a Nikon and then I started 
uh, taking photographs of comedians and charging them for it oh, against you? my really grotty back wall in my kitchen in Mitcham. It was a very depressing time of my life. Thanks for bringing it up, Richard. <laughs> very exciting <laughs> to hear all about this. Imagine that being your only IMDb credit, though. It's good you've got some other stuff in there now. It was for a long time, those two things. <laughs> <laughs> but multi-talented. People go, hey, we need a makeup artist and a photographer. But there's one person who can do both of those things <laughs> on the whole of IMDb. So, I mean, you're having a fantastic year already. I've done very well at pre-selecting the people who are going to be big hits at the Fringe. Oh, well, that's very um, nice of you. You're having a fantastic uh, time, I, I imagine. Yes, it's going very yeah. well. I uh, have decided this year um, to take myself out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone is singing opera and wearing um, big costumes and big hair and being quite showbiz. I did a huge show last year called The Divine Miss Jade, and I joke on stage that at this stage of my career, it was probably a little bit too big for me. Um, <laughs> And I, uh, and I spent a lot of money on it. I made £42,000 worth of ticket sales and came home with minus £3,500. <laughs> and you'd think it's because Edinburgh is expensive. It wasn't. It's because I had a 6x4 wind sequin sign and um, uh, the man who wrote Jerry Springer the Opera, or one of the men that did, on the piano. And he's quite expensive because gays know their worth. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know Stuart Lee was gay, did you? But there he is. There he is. <laughs> Big one. Please find out. <laughs> <laughs> so this year, it's, you've, you've become more. So you're, you're wearing a turtleneck. Are you being serious? Is that? Yeah. Is that, yeah. So. So I. But you're, you're not. You're. It's sort of slightly pastiching the idea. Yeah. I. Yeah. It's yeah. A, this idea that women in 2019, unless they're sat on thrones on stage talking about issues, um, <laughs> uh, wearing black turtlenecks, they're not uh, really doing. There's like a sort of. A thing where women are very serious at the moment, quite rightly so, because of all the all the things that have come out and yeah. all the bad men that were taken down. Um, but I'm, you know, this isn't an accent that's lent itself to um, of being serious. Uh, <laughs> they don't put us in positions of authority, do they? <laughs> Unless you are in a West Country police station, and then they can't help it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I sort of, uh, I've never done that really. I've always been a, the, the class clown and made everyone laugh. When I used to dance with my sister when I was younger, we did a lot of, I, 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 you know, I was very disruptive just trying to make people laugh. And, yeah. and now, in fact, th taking myself out of my comfort zone is me talking about things I care about. And um, I, 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 you know, I'm a, a working class girl and I thought, you know, that's not often a, a voice in the middle, uh, in the in the feminist conversation. Yeah. So I thought I would have my own feminist show yeah. um, whilst wearing a black turtleneck and talking about the big issues of life. <laughs> um, but it turns out that I have actually made a point with it as well. Yeah, that's um, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're not going to leave behind like being the, 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 the clowning. and Because it's great to be funny, you know what I mean? I, I hate it when comedians genuinely think oh I you know if I'm not being serious then I'm not being doing my job because the opposite is sort of true as well isn't it I really love entertaining yeah. people that's what I love to do um, and there's a sort of uh, there's an element to uh, you know Edinburgh is its own thing so you create an Edinburgh-ish show in order to get people and then it helps you for the rest of the year you all know that it's a trade fair up here for all of us don't you and there's a way to do Edinburgh and I've sort of done I did a show about my sister who died in 2016 which I got nominated for best newcomer for um, and <laughs> what the audience can't uh, see me doing is um, trying to be humble on stage when I say that um, <laughs> uh, but I wrote that show which is your sort of archetypal show about a, a, a traumatic experience yeah. that you've uh, had and then this one was sort of 
I just, I, you know, I was like, people are, you know, people are doing sort of serious issues. Maybe I can make light of a, a of a topic, um, perhaps, you know, in a serious, funny way. Yeah. Um, and it seems, to, it seems to have worked. But I won't be. I'll, I'll be back in the sequence immediately. Um, it's just, it was just for this show. Because I also, I want to always make people. Um, I don't want people to guess what I'm going to do. I like, I like the fact that people will never be able to second guess me. And they, I've, I've. I hate it when people... My, my least favourite thing that someone can say to me is, oh, that's what you're like, Jade. Yeah. I'm like, no, well, no, I'm not now. That's, that's over now. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I really I love it when I... Uh, you know, surprising people's the funnest. Yeah, yeah well, that's great. And I think with comedy, there's so many different places to go with comedy and so many different ways of doing it. That's it. I, I agree with you. Like, a lot of people just get, find their place and just stick in it. And it's and could do a great job, and that's a great way of becoming like very good at that one thing. But there's so many different types of comedy to try and master. You know, it seems a shame not to push yourself, which you seem to be doing, which is good. And you are from Bristol. Uh, yes. You're born in Bristol in 1984, which means there's a possibility when I was up from Cheddar for a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> I might have passed you in the street when you were a baby, and I was uh, oh God, 17. <laughs> where, were, where were you in Bristol? Oh, well, well, just mainly in the shopping centre. Which one? Um, well, the main one in the centre, but it's all changed now. It's Broadmead? Mum? Yeah, Broadmead. She's in. I mean, you know, your mum's in. I might be your dad. If, if only. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I didn't have sex till I was nearly 20, so I think you're safe. <laughs> yeah, a 17-year-old father in Bristol isn't a long, uh, a long stretch, to <laughs> it be is, perfectly uh, honest it, with you. It, even for me, that's how bad I was. That's, uh, how, that's how unlikely I was to have sex, even in Bristol. You should have been from Bristol. Anyone can get laid there. <laughs> but I love Bristol. It's a fantastic city, and it's always uh, my favourite place. Sorry, Edinburgh. Uh, you're in the top 500. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's my favourite place to play. Is uh, you, might, you must have fantastic gigs back in Bristol when you go back there. Yeah, now. Yeah. Not when I first moved away. Oh, really? I, I remember the only gig that my brother's actually come to. Uh, he's an electrician and um, he doesn't come to watch me. And the reason is, as I said to him, why don't you come and watch me do gigs? And he says, you don't watch me do electrics. <laughs> <laughs> but he came once yeah. in 2012 and I died for the first 12 minutes of a 20 minute set because I tried something new which is and now he won't come back right. um, so yes now it's really nice because it's sort of like you know Bristol as soon as you start being successful and you move away from somewhere everyone gets on board um, <laughs> and they're all very proud and yeah. you know I've got a I've got a show actually uh, the show that I'm doing at the moment I'm touring it's the first tour I've ever done and on I think it's May 21st I'm doing um, the Bristol Old Vic yes um, Venue. Which is it, for me, this is a this is a huge deal because I would stand outside of the Bristol Vic, um, you know, hoping that I would be there one day. And I went to the youth uh, the youth theatre thing for a little while and did a couple of plays in the in the small um, um, back room that yeah. they have, not the main room. And then you know, sneak into the main room and look at it and go, oh my god, isn't it fancy? Um, <laughs> so it's it's a huge it's a huge deal. And whenever I, I did Colston Hall as well, and that yeah. was in there, um, not the main room, um, <laughs> but that was another one of those sort of things. And, I, and that's how I, I measure my success. I don't measure it on the telly stuff. I measure it on whether or not I can. At the, how close am I to the Bristol Hippodrome? Because <laughs> that was when I was younger, yeah. and I went to see Phantom of the Opera ten times, and I, I got obsessed with the man who was playing Phantom. There's something about um, you know a character who like you know it's a little bit traumatic that's women want to save everyone um and i i got obsessed with going to phantom and it was you know that's that, that venue is the is the one and bristol vic's the second and Bris, uh, bristol hippodrome's the first one yeah i wouldn't feel the hippodrome at the moment 
No, you could go and be in the pantomime at the Bristol Hippodrome. That's all I mainly remember about the Bristol the sort of pantomime. Have you been there? Have you done I, I haven't played the Hippodrome. No. I've, I've, the Old Vic, we're, we're, I'm at the Old Vic in uh, September uh, doing Rahalastapa. They're doing all they're, they're picking up, they're warming up. Uh, it's nearly sold out that one because uh, Bristol's great. I do well in Bristol, uh, Edinburgh. <laughs> Just to let you know. Just to let you know today. Uh, but uh, and you did you you worked in ASDA on the fish counter? Is that right? I was there for the shortest amount of time really? ever. I was there for six months. Uh, when I was 16, it was my first job. My mum was already she worked there from the age of when I was two. Mum got a job there. And I got sacked for eating a prawn wonton off of the deli counter. <laughs> um, and I worked on fish, yeah. so that was real bad. Uh, but they sort of made an example of me because everyone was cooking up stuff out back. Like all the girls were cooking up pizzas. There's a hot plate that you sort of, um, when you wrapped everything in clean film, you put it on top of the hot plate and it would like seal it. That, that thing turned into a pizza oven <laughs> with two uh, tin foil trays that acted as an, uh, as an incubator. Oh, yeah. And then I was used as an example. Mum, mum you agree? <laughs> She's so psyched. She hates that when I do that. <laughs> I'm not sure your mum's even here. You've asked her two questions. Has your mum gone over to the other side now? Mum, do you agree? Are you? Yeah. She said yes. She said she agrees. We all heard it. Uh, well, that's so you can, you can you, but six months is quite. I, I my first job was three weeks picking mushrooms at Axbridge Mushroom Farm. Some of them might have ended up in Asda and Bristol, and uh, <laughs> I, I was terrible at it. People were very good at picking mushrooms, and I was not good at picking. What mushrooms. What do you have to do to be good at picking? Well, mushrooms? I mean, I think the big there was people who'd been there for a long time, and they would bagsy their best beds. What 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 mushrooms were we talking about? Like button mushrooms mainly, yeah. But there was button, a few bigger ones. Yeah, it just depended on how the crops had grown. That it was all inside. Were any funky mushrooms? In um, no, I didn't see. I wouldn't have known when I was that age. I spent my I went, I went to Bristol within my first what, thirty pounds a week I made doing that, and I bought a Sony Walkman. That, just Bristol? a date when I was first having a <laughs> in job. Yeah, and that was somewhere in. in I don't want to say Broadmoor, but Broadmead. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Not Broadmoor. <laughs> but it's all been knocked down, all that stuff now, and rebuilt, hasn't it? Yeah, been they've it? got Cabot Circus. Yeah, there's a new, um, There's a new bit down the road. But Broad, uh, I mean, Broadmead's still there, but it's tragic. <laughs> it, there, it's everything slowly moving over to the other side. Yeah. Um, but, you know, BHS is still there, standing oh, strong. That's good. Well, I must, I must go I back while it's still there. There was, a, there was a wimpy there that probably isn't there anymore. Debenhams is still there. Is it? Okay. It's hanging on by a thread, mate. It's, you know, this isn't interesting for you, but there's some people in Bristol <laughs> creaming their pants now. At this I know fantastic. that place. I know that place. <laughs> oh, this podcast is the best I've ever listened to. <laughs> Did you ever travel down to Cheddar when you were in uh, Bristol? Yeah, I've been to Cheddar before. Yeah. Um, been to the caves. Yeah. Um, add some cheese. Yeah, there's, there's some cheese there. <laughs> Have you been to Wookie Hole in Been Wales? to Wookie Hole which, Caves. Which do you prefer, Wookie Hole or Cheddar Caves? I've been... Uh, oh. Be careful how you answer this. Think, <laughs> think carefully. Well, I like witches. Yeah. And mm. Yeah, sorry. I was a kid. If, there was a, if, if I had a mascot, I was there. Yeah. We, we, we got a rock that looks like a lion if you squinted it. <laughs> I mean, I would now, I'm of an age where I would now probably more enjoy cheddar cakes. Yeah, I you think know? you should, yeah. Yeah, I need to go back. You need to go back. I'll I take do. you back. We'll go and have a look around again. Wookie Hole is better, but it's, that's not the point. That is not the point. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of things to talk to you about. You've had a very interesting life. Um, uh, the, you were an Adele impersonator, and so this one, one of your first 
TV things was, well, you walked out, oh, is this right about this, Adele? Well, I got a message. It was when I'd very first signed with my first agent, and I couldn't get hold of them over the weekend because, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, not con they were, they're not constant support. Um, and I was at the Wimbledon Theatre because a friend of mine on the drag circuit, because that's what, how I started yeah. performing in, in doing stand-up, because I tried to get into stand-up. It's quite... It's quite Clones and a bit clicky sometimes. Um, so I just went to the drag queens who immediately accepted a strong, uh, powerful woman. <laughs> they love them. Um, so I, I went to them and, you know, uh, and one of them phoned me. Actually, loads of them did. And they said, oh, the BBC are looking for drag impersonators because they've been asking around the drag circuit as well. Um, why don't you go and do it? And, um, and, I, and I did. And I arrive at the Wimbledon Theatre. There's a load of girls in the foyer, and we all look alike. And I've never felt so ununique in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> oh, what, babes, what do you do? I'm on the cruise ships, me. And they all, and so we all sit down, and then we go up, uh, we go up to the dressing room, they put us down. And um, I start, because I've done a little bit of telly, not loads. If you'd have seen me in the room, I'm acting like I, I've done, I'm on everything. <laughs> um, but the, I just felt uncomfortable. They had a BBC T-shirt on, so I sort of trusted them. And um, you can just make those yourself. You have yeah. to watch out. Well, this is my, one of my yeah. thoughts was they could, they, this could be like, this could be some sort of hidden camera thing, and I couldn't get hold of anyone because it wasn't through my agency that I had it, so I, I didn't know if I'd done the right thing. Yeah. Could be a very specific white slavery <laughs> for someone who really likes a load of Adele lookalikes. <laughs> really? Could be sold into. I do think it's a Pornhub search. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm sat with all these girls, and there's a woman at the end, and she's telling them too much, and I kept going, Shh, don't say too much. I was really not. I was really uncomfortable there, and they were really. F and I was like, "What is this show?" And they were like, "Oh, it's a show about uh, impersonators." This week we're doing Adele, then we're doing Boy George, and we're doing Rihanna, and that was how what they said it was. Yeah. Um, and after a while, I said, "I got. I got to leave." I looked. I, I had all the makeup on and everything, and they were desperate for me to stay because I think I looked the most like her out of all of them. Like they, they pulled a drag queen out who was like six foot four, slim, and had black hair. <laughs> <laughs> Anything will do. So they really wanted me to stay, and they sent the woman up. They said she was the ethics specialist of the BBC, who happened to be at the Wimbledon Theatre on a Sunday afternoon in a pair of gold hot pants. <laughs> and she stood outside the room and tried to convince me to stay. And she said, "Look, and I because." basically they'd given me a form and it said I Jade Adams sign away my moral rights and I was like I do not sign away my moral <laughs> rights my mother told me when I moved to London two things don't get naked and don't sign away anything <laughs> trust your instinct so I left and I felt really proud of myself that I didn't because it's one of those moments that you hear about when you're a kid about signing your soul to the devil and uh, in, in this job and I said no and I got in a cab and I was really proud of myself and I told the cab driver the whole story and the BBC paid for the cab ride from Wimbledon to East London where I was living it was great <laughs> and then about three weeks later mother phones me up and she says have you watched the television um, uh, and told me about this show where Adele was pretending to be an impersonator and hiding herself amongst other Adele impersonators at the wow. Wimbledon theatre and in fact what I thought was a um, show where I was going to get, it was like a hidden camera show, was actually an opportunity for me to meet Adele. Not only meet Adele, but sing with Adele <laughs> and be part of a YouTube video that got 49 million hits or something <laughs> like that. And where was I? In the back of a cab, <laughs> writing a Facebook update that got 26 likes. <laughs> 
Oh, well, well, you know, you don't need Adele. You're better than Adele, right? I don't. I do need her. Can she get in touch? Thanks. You do. (laughs) She probably would have become your best friend. She wouldn't Because probably what she wants is someone who looks quite like her and makes a living looking like her. She'd probably want to become friends with that person. (laughs) I'd be uncomfortable with her being in my life as well. (laughs) I like being unique. I don't need a load of people like me around me. I need need it all different. So, no. We can appreciate from afar. I think so. Like me and all French do. No. <laughs> no, I don't. I do well, know. Dawn French called, I called you the third funniest woman in the world. Fact. Yeah. <laughs> Who were the first two, though? Did she. Her and Jennifer. Was it? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's why I wanted. <laughs> I went to her house. Did you? Yeah, we did, went. Did she invite you? Or did you just yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be let down after the Adele thing. I'm going to beat them all. Well, her, her agent and my agent work across an office from each other. Right. And. Um, more, uh, her agent Maureen had sent her uh, videos of me, and then I was wor- I was at a ca- I was still working at a cafe at the time, and I was covered in I was covered in pig juice, uh, the bacon had tipped on me, and I was walking across the road to get some bread, and I'd been getting this phone call, and I and I was sure I owed someone money, so I was ignoring it, and it was one of those no caller ID things, and then finally, because it was going on and on, I picked it up and went what, <laughs> and it was she was like oh hi it's Dawn French, and I recognised her voice immediately, and I was like, I was like I was like really, <laughs> and she. Yeah, it's Dawn French, and then I sort of um, realised that what the the connection. Yeah. And she was being so nice to me on the phone. She said, "I've watched your stuff. I think you're brilliant. Why don't you come and see my show?" So I went to watch her show, a million minute, uh, yeah, three, yeah. two million minutes or something yeah. like. It was brilliant, and um, vaudeville theatre. It was great. And then she invited me to come backstage. <laughs> oh man! Um, and <laughs> I'm there, and I'm sat there. I, I'm working in a cafe still, but I'm in a gre- I'm in the backstage, and just Dawn French and Imelda Staunton are chatting about life, and it's me there too. <laughs> and they're talking about having difficult daughters, and then I remind them this is what happens to a difficult daughter. It'll all be fine. Um, and it was, so, it was very surreal. And then she said to me, she was like, if you ever happen to be in Cornwall, why don't you come and pop on by? Well, funnily enough, I had a, I had a holiday um, in Cornwall that magically just appeared. <laughs> My boyfriend, uh, who's also a comedian, Rich Wilson, he um, he's uh, he's slightly older than me. He's been obsessed with Dawn French since the young ones, right. and he's like been like he likes big women. God rest, <laughs> I love him. Uh, I call him Fat Man. Um, <laughs> he defends us as well. That's another story. Um, uh, he uh, he's all he likes big women, and he um, and he's always adored her, like like fancied her, and um, he came with me. He drove drove me there, and. We're, we're pulling up to her house and his heart's going. And I'm like, you're going to just have to calm down, mate. <laughs> and uh, he got to the door and I'd already met her. So she was like, and she g- gave him a hug and she went, can I, can I have a hug to him? And he was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and she was great. She's like the, the loveliest woman. She talks, she tells you everything. And you, uh, she, we opened the door and she was like, her, she was like, she said to me, she said, do you want to have a nose around? And she was, and I was like, yes. And she went, because she said, I love looking around people's houses. And frankly, I've spent a lot of money on this place and I want to show it off. <laughs> and she took me around the house and then there was a room. She opened the door and she went, this is your room. And I was like, <laughs> and we, were, we tried to leave. We tried to leave because we didn't want to impose or be there for too long. And we had like tea and cake and we met her wonderful husband, Mark, yes. who like, I don't know if you know the story, but Mark had no idea who Dawn was when they met. Like, he had no idea. He doesn't watch telly, so he had no idea what... He, now, obviously, he knows who she is now, but... <laughs> <laughs> he 
<laughs> but they're really sweet and really in love yeah, and, yeah. and it was sort of, you know, my chap and I are in the, the first throes of our relationship so it was really, it was really warming to be in the, in the presence of the, this couple who just absolutely adore each other and, and she's just, as you imagine, she's the loveliest woman. Yeah, she is. Well, you know, I've, I've met her on this that's yeah. the well, oh, and I've yeah. met her a few times but she, yeah, she's really... She's been really supportive as yeah, well. That's good. Well, I like that. that you know, that's not always the case with people from uh, the older generation comedians. I really try to sabotage everyone's <laughs> career. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> I get them on it in order to be funnier than them, and then they, they, they trick me by being funnier than me, <laughs> and then they do well. It's not fair. It hasn't worked out well. Uh, I'm going to ask you some emergency questions because people will be upset if I don't. Oh, my goodness, this has passed by so quickly. You must come on a, a, again, Jade. Uh, okay, I'd love to. Um, because we have we barely scratched the surface. Let's uh, let's see what we uh, what we we've got here. Uh, well, this is what's come up. What's the most unusual thing you've ever rented? <laughs> what is the most unusual yeah, thing I've ever rented? I don't know where that came from. I mean, I've I've had some pr pretty questionable Airbnbs. Yeah. Um, I've had an Airbnb when I um, I had to lift the mattress for some. I'd lost something, and I'd look, I looked everywhere in the room, and I lift the mattress, and it had a huge blood stain. It was massive, <laughs> right across the, and that was that was pretty bad. I still gave them a good review though. <laughs> At least they flipped it. At least they flipped it when they killed the previous. I, I mean, you're not in charge. If an Airbnb, if someone comes and uses it to murder someone, it's not your fault, is no. it? And the mattress has two sides. You don't want to throw the mattress out. I don't really rate people badly on anything. No. The only people I did was when I was forced, forced into reviewing a potato masher I bought off Amazon <laughs> that I haven't even used yet. And I got, <laughs> I got a message every day about reviewing this potato masher and I got so mad I went onto Twitter and I, I got angry at them and then I started getting bullied by James A. Castor and Ed Gamble um, and then they started up this hashtag called Jade Bangamash which is related to another one about Phil Wang Bangawangamash or whatever it is and then I started getting picked on by them all and then I turn up to a gig where I'm doing I, I, it's a Wi-Fi Worlds gig where you play computer games in front of an audience Ed Gamble's opposite me and then during the match he takes his top off, he's got a t-shirt on that says Jade Bangamash on it. <laughs> they, were tr they were trying to force me into reviewing the potato masher. And I'll be honest with you, I'll tell you about this potato masher. It was, it was a fold-away potato masher. You couldn't mash anything with it because it folded itself away every time you did. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to find a potato masher, I think, that, it, that does the job. I never, I can never, I don't know how people get that very smooth mashed potato. I don't know how they do it. Mine's always got lumps in it. A ricer. Yeah. There you are. Uh, a ricer. Ricer. Yeah, a potato ricer. Oh. You, um, yeah, you, f uh, you basically mash it up a bit and then you feed it through the ricer and it makes the, uh, that's what chefs do. Okay. I've been to posh restaurants. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll give it a go. But yeah. I, you know, I'm not, not convinced. Uh, I, have, I have a friend on Facebook who has an Airbnb and uh, they came back from, with, from one people who's been there, and there were condom wrappers in the toaster. I <laughs> 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 kind of think, that's a, I mean, that's a very specific... You couldn't, you know, you're not going to just throw, fling those across the room. Anyway, anyway. Um, we'll do one more emergency question, and then we, we may have to uh, bid you adieu, unfortunately, but we will, we will have you back another time, because you um, uh, my wife was speaking very highly. You've done my wife's podcast. I did. Well, I you? absolutely adore your wife. She's all right, isn't she? I'm, you know, you can have, <laughs> if you want to take her and the youngest kid off my hands, then you are welcome. 
I'm I'll, really, I'll have the oldest one. I'm very good with other people's children, oh, yeah, actually. Good. Yeah, I'm really Just good. Come around any time and babysit. You want to? Uh, you want to? Um, let's ask you: Would you rather have a hand made out of ham? A hand. A hand that's made out of ham, or yeah. an armpit that dispenses sun cream? So you get enough sun cream for your own personal use throughout the year. You won't be able to market it. Oh, I mean, you could do a bottle a year, maybe. Uh, or uh, a hand that's made out of ham, you can just eat the hand, it will grow back. But if you eat the whole thing, it will take a while to grow back. But if you nibble at it, you've got free ham. <laughs> I'm no. a bit funny about um, uh, cannibalism. Oh, yeah. Call me old-fashioned, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not into it at all. Like, if it's ever on a movie or something, I get... Yeah. I, like, I, it makes me feel really weird. Like, I get a, a weird feeling about it. I mean, it. is that cannibalism? If you, if, you, if you bit your fingernails, would that be cannibalism? If it wasn't ham, if it was, like, if it was pork crackling that came out... So close, isn't it? And it was slightly warm and it had apple sauce on it. Yeah. If, <laughs> if that kept growing out of my hand, then you would have me, but the ham thing would bother me. I reckon you could do that with your hand anyway. Well, just cover it in pork. I think you'd have to put it in a fire, but I think it, <laughs> I think it would become pork crackling if you did. I mean, we basically we are just pig, sort of We've monkey pigs. We've got a pig, similar taste to pigs. So yeah. I've read. In I think if you stuck that in a in an oven for long enough, the skin would come up as crackling, and you could eat it. I mean, you know, if you really want that, is what I'm saying. I'll give you the apple sauce if you do it for free. I I, I feel that if I responded to this, it would be an irresponsible use of my platform, Richard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What was the other question? So uh, an an armpit that dispenses sun cream, free sun. I'm fair. That's yeah. great. See, and yeah. I've like I'm no I'm no one ever believes this, but I I've got things growing out. Of my, I don't I don't sh- I don't shave. I was my parents hate this, um, but I have a hairy armpit, so growing yeah. things out of my armpits don't um d- don't just, bother me. Um, so actually, um, what would be more useful is to have sun cream because sometimes I am caught outside. Yeah. Only if it was Neil's yard, though. Okay. I think you can pick, you can pick, you can pick the... the if the it was constant Neil's Yard sun cream, I'd yeah. be well up for that. Wow. Yeah. No one's ever gone for a brand before. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know a lot about sun cream. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Tell, tell us where you're on. I think you might be sold out, are you? But uh, if you're No, not, I'm you're not, not sold okay. out. Uh, uh, it's not selling well, um, but it's not sold out. I'm uh, at Pleasance 2 at 9.30pm, and the show's called The Ballad of Kylie Jenner's Old Face. <laughs> And if any of you have switched off at the name of Kylie Jenner, don't worry, I've made a show for you. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, someone said to me, uh, name your, uh, describe your show in five words, and it's basically Fourth Wave Feminism by Jade. Terrific. That's basically the show. Okay, well, it, it was a fantastic comedian. Uh, please go and see this show. Ladies and gentlemen, Jade Adams! Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Uh, oh, I've dropped my book down there. I did that. Oh. I'm all over the place. We've only been going a week. And I even... Oh, God, I can put up on there. Uh, look, uh, if you here in the theatre would uh, like to buy your own emergency question book, uh, I will be at the... Uh, they've set up a little table for me in the doorway as you go out of the venue. You know, I'm not, I'm not proud. Uh, and you can buy the new emergency questions book at a knockdown price because uh, there's a new version coming out and I'm trying to shift my remaining stock. Uh, and the old emergency questions book, which is 500 questions, if you buy them both, uh, you get some free stickers. Uh, and there are some stickers. You can buy the stickers as well. Uh, I'm one of the cool kids. I'm one of the cool kids. Stickers. Uh, and uh, you also got, got a program at the beginning. That's a free gift from me to you. Uh, I, as always, I make a collection for Scope, which is a fantastic charity uh, that is trying to get equal rights and access for all disabled people. So if you want to donate some money at the end of the show for that charity, there will be a bucket on my table and maybe someone holding a bucket as you're going out. Uh, please donate whatever you want to give. You don't have to give anything. Um, and 
it'd be lovely if you do though. Uh, it's, it's going to a fantastic cause. So let's crack on with our next guest. I have a card machine as well if you if you want to play by for me, not for the for the charity. Let's get let's not get things out of perspective. So um <laughs> let's remember who's the most important one here. So my guest this week you're much better than the last week's audience, I've got confused. <laughs> He's probably best known for his hit song Orange, which made number 30 in the Irish charts. I'm sure you've all got a copy. Will you please welcome David O'Doherty, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> welcome. Come in, sit down. Hey, everyone. It's David O'Doherty. I, um, I, I listen to this podcast. Yes. So I'll probably be listening to it tomorrow. Yes. Do you reckon? Yeah. Probably walking through the meadows as well. <laughs> yeah. And then there'll be an embarrassing thing if someone sees what I'm listening to because the <laughs> blurb will have, my, well, they'd have yeah. to know who I was. Yeah. And then it'd be like he's listening to his own albums, like Paul McCartney <laughs> listening to a Beatles album. I know, actually, that makes us the Beatles. Yeah. Forget about that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. too much. Let's do that. Let's both walk around listening to it together until someone stops us and we can go, oh, would you like us to act a bit out for you? Because <laughs> you're implying this is all scripted, then we've got to learn off this script. For we will. Have to. I'll send you a, a script to learn overnight and then okay. we'll walk around together. And okay, then, great. So just keep it simple. Um, so you're, there's a story behind the uh, hit song Orange, isn't there? It's not... I mean, actually, number 30 was as high as it could possibly get. And uh, No, we were going for number 27. Oh, okay. In the pre-download era, the charts were quite easy to rig in January and February. Right. It was, it, do you remember metal bands used to... You know, like Iron Maiden would be number one in February. Yeah. I think the thinking was that on the way up to Christmas, everyone buys Christmas albums. And then in January, people spend the tokens they got for Christmas. But in February, not a sinner buys a record. <laughs> so obscure, more obscure... Sepultura would be in the top ten or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so And Ireland is an even smaller market. And at the time... So this is 2008, just before downloads were a big thing. Mm. You, you, all you had to do was know someone who worked for the chart tracker company and find out what record shops were counting in an individual week, because only certain record stores would be the ones. Right. And so my friend and I found three in a triangular shape, <laughs> and you have to buy each one 15 minutes apart, but the loop took about 30 minutes, so <laughs> the two of us just went round. But, and because our friends worked in all the record shops, they knew what the scam was. Right. And uh, <laughs> so we bought like 900 copies of Orange with a view to getting it to 27, and it got to 30. Yeah, 30's not bad, though, is it? It's, it's still a top 30. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's unique among uh, songs in the top 30. It never got any radio play. <laughs> <laughs> there were some swears in it. There was some swearing. There was some, uh, there was some Rudy's in it. And uh, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, they played 15 seconds of it. You know, new, 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 new entry, number 30. <laughs> and just a little bit with no Rudy's in it. But you can see it now on YouTube. Yes, we made a video a nice as well. Video. Uh, fun fact, the man who directed that video was John Carney, who went on, he won the Oscar for best, he wrote, uh, made a movie called Once, that some people may remember, yeah. set in Dublin, a beautiful movie that won the Oscar for best song. And so that's a Glenn Hansard, Marquetta Erdlova duet. 
but it, when you IMDB'd him, it would be like the two videos he'd ever made with the video for the Oscar winning song and this absolute heap of shite as well. So it has an extraordinary number of hits. I don't think that's fair. I think it's a, it's a very good video. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it very much. It's about, um, it's not a political song. No. <laughs> even though it's called Orange, it's about someone who wears too much fake tan yeah. in 2008. Yep. Yeah, who works in a photocopy shop. It's nice. Um, and you've been do you've been you've been up to yeah, the thing is, Dave. When I do this show, I mean, I know, I know you're a very successful comedian, but you've do so you've done so many interesting and fascinating things in your career. Stop. And you know, it is. It's, you realise how I just realise how much talent there is out there. Go on. And <laughs> and then I kind of understand why I'm not doing that well. Uh, I can't, there you're are doing, there are really good comedians out you're there. Doing I'm doing I'm doing okay now. There's hundreds of people in a Masonic hall in the middle hundreds, of the day. There's hundreds. Uh, but, uh, no, it's, you've, you've done some really interesting stuff. When that, that song, the, 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 the hit thing was from a, a, a show called uh, the, Modest, uh, the Modest Life Adventures of The David. Modest Adventures of David O'Doherty, yeah, yeah. So tried to set out. It was, it was, they gave me a show. I don't really know why. They must have had some money left over, and they gave us so little money to make six half-hour episodes in 2008 yes. for late-night Irish television. And so in one of them, I tried to cycle 200 miles and do a gig at the end of it that ended really, really badly. Um, in another one, we tried to make a short film uh, in 24 hours and enter it into a short film yeah. uh, contest. Just those sort of... I, I recorded a... I lived in a bedsit at the time and recorded a live DVD. Remember, people were doing DVDs a lot at that time. Yeah. They were getting like offered big deals for the DVDs to record them in the Albert Hall or whatever. So I decided to record it in my bedsit. And yeah, we fitted uh, 38 people in. There was a man sitting on the loo with the door of the loo open. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, uh, the album was called Giggle Me Timbers or Jokes Ahoy. Because uh, we couldn't decide the title, and I'm dressed <laughs> as a pirate on the front. But so there was lots of fun things with that. Those are cr crazy stunts. You've written uh, kids' books. Yeah, I, I, I've been doing that longer than yeah. I've been doing. I mean, there is a wave of comedians writing kids' books now. But I started I had my first kids' book when I was 20, just after uh, yeah university. And so I've been doing kids' gigs longer than I've been doing yeah. grown-ups' gigs then. And it was probably the confidence I got from doing kids' gigs, which are probably more petrifying in many ways, doing <laughs> readings, you know, that, yeah. uh, that then gave me the confidence to do this. The, I have many great uh, heckles from the kids' stuff, but the best recent one, uh, a six-year-old girl said, what is the point of you? <laughs> which is a very... I think that Socrates died not <laughs> being able to work that out. It is, I think I had a similar one. I did a gig just before coming up to Edinburgh at the Deer Shed Festival, and yeah, someone asked, a kid asked something very much like that to me as well. It is interesting how uh, uh, kids will come up with these massive philosophical conundrums, and yeah. I guess they're thinking about, you know, they're, they're trying to work out the point of everything. They are, and they've, I think probably because their experience of grown ups is teachers or their parents, but it's generally about life lessons, and this is an important thing. Yes. And then I am telling them the danger of if you sharks coming up out of the loo and grabbing them from below <laughs> and dragging them in, and then if you reach up and you pull the flush by mistake, you both spiral off <laughs> into a local river. And after about 10 minutes of looking perplexed at this, big questions start to come into their heads. Everything I knew is now wrong. <laughs> 
Uh, good fun. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, so you won the comedy award in 2008 here. In Have you done a show in Edinburgh every year since 2002? Uh, 2000? No, I, I, I did 2000, and, then and I skipped 2001. Yeah. And then I did 2002 to uh, when I was quite heartbroken in 2017. I skipped that one. Right. And then I've done the last two then. So, yeah, so you've done a lot of one man shows. I mean, that's, yeah. that might be. That's almost the record, I thought. I, I can't I, I, it's early consecutively, it was from 2002 to 2016. Yeah. And then some years, I did, the year I won the Perrier, I was doing three shows a day. Right. I did a, I was doing a kids show. It's probably the show that I'm proudest of. It was just so stupid and so much fun. Me and Maeve Higgins, who some people may know, lives in New York now, amazing comedian, does podcasts. She and I were in two beds on stage and we were trying to get to sleep and the audience came in and kids and grown-ups and instinctively saw people in two beds and the, or the kids would just be like shh to the grown-ups and they'd all take their seats and then we would ask them how to get to sleep okay. what like their tricks yeah. and whatever they suggested we would do for an hour <laughs> and uh, the best part of that was after i won that award the, your nighttime shows sell out. They're very hard to get tickets for, but yeah. people just see your name and be like, ah, oh, that's, the, that's the fellow we want to see. And this, the last, because well, the, the Scottish schools the, go back earlier, so that it was more and more grown-ups were appearing at our kids' show. Yeah. And on the very last day, there were two, you know those sort of large, I'd say, um, perfectly square, uh, Edinburgh residents, <laughs> fellas, <laughs> at midday, I'd say, uh, those who could be between early 30s to mid 60s, those guys <laughs> uh, holding the three pints in a triangle each, they come in and sit down thinking, oh, here's this show everyone's talking about, and uh, me and Maeve asked them how to get to sleep for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> they got into it, it's fine. <laughs> kids shows is difficult, isn't it? I mean, I'm going to. I'm mainly going to kids. I just, I just went to see uh, today. I saw Mr. Men and Little, Little Miss show. It's very childish. Uh, <laughs> didn't, I didn't hold my attention. Did they well, around the 40-minute mark? You found your, yeah, your mind was right. waning. And Actually, it was there need to be more songs in it? That's my advice to the, the Mr. Roger Hargreaves if he's listening. I don't think he is. He may have, he may not have had anything to do with this live stage show. So I, what? Could you just take me through? So the Mister Man are famous for a thing. Yes. You know what I mean? There isn't a curveball Mister Man where he's like Mister Strong, but it turns out he's emotionally strong. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just he lifts heavy things. Yeah. Mister Sneeze. They're quite. They're, I've been reading because my someone bought them all for my daughter. So I've read all of the Mister Men books. Oh, bragging! Here we go. <laughs> Read that, so I've read the ball this year. Uh, it's 48 or something like that. Um, I, from my recollection, I liked... Who's um, Mr. Dizzy, is it? He's, uh, he's shaped like a figure of eight. Now, that's yeah. most of them. Uh, and he's ditzy. Oh, I tell you, the joke at the end of it, and this is just going from having not read it for over yeah. 40 years. Uh, uh, I, oh, the, the, he ties an elephant's trunk up at the end. Yeah. And the punchline is... I debose do dig dat's fuddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah. this is good. This yeah. is. They are good, but they are, there's an element with them, I feel, where they're trying to tell kids not to be a... So there's a little Miss Chatterbox. You feel like the, mes the message is, 
girls should shut up. <laughs> I mean, the message is, you should listen. And uh, yeah, to Mr. Chatterbox, yeah. here he comes, here it now. He can explain a few things to you, darling. But unsurprisingly, I suppose, that but they, had, they had a whole cast of characters. Uh, are they, hang on, are they real people? Uh, there are real people holding puppets. Is it it like wasn't enough to, my daughter liked it, my son was, who has watched some things and enjoyed it, he's not two yet. Yeah. He did not hold his attention. Songs. You need to put songs in for the for the two. Um, I saw an intriguing one because I'm living with Josie Long, yeah. who has a one-year-old, and so we were looking in the brochure, and there's one called Double Bubble Trouble. Okay. Okay. Which I can imagine what that is. Yeah. I doubt it's about us all living in bubbles in the modern world <laughs> and the difficulty that gets you into. But no, it says Double Bubble Trouble is running every day, and then one of the gigs is listed as adults only. Right. And I really want to know what happens. They really cut loose with the bub firing bubbles out of their arseholes or something. They should do a Mr. Men version for adults only as well. <laughs> Just all the Mr. Men, the little misses fucking each other. Jesus Being great. Christ. Uh, Mr. Strong. Go and take that little bit of chatterbox that will shut you up. I, str I always struggled with Mr. Me Mr. Messi in particular, yeah. um, uh, not the footballer. <laughs> the, um, because the other Mr. Men all have structural integrity, as in, I don't know what breed they are. They look sort of, they're mammals or lizards. Maybe the, what do you call the uh, furry things that lay eggs, like the platypus? What's the name of that subset? Mar no, not marsupials. The ones, the, what are they? Monotrines, yeah. yeah. They, they're the only... Yeah, so, do the Mr. Man lay eggs? Is there one where... <laughs> is it like a Mr. Breakfast? Hang I on reckon, one moment. I I'll reckon, just get the wife. I reckon they're cloacered. I reckon they have cloacers, the Mr. Men. <laughs> so, Mr. Messy. Yeah. The others, you can imagine, you can see... You could, like pancreas, kidneys, yeah. probably. Although they don't seem to excrete either. Yeah. But Mr. Messy is just a, uh, a, an abstract form. He's just someone's done a squiggle and put yeah. legs on it. And that annoyed me a lot, you know. <laughs> but then I guess if, it was, if they went to war, if there was a war yeah. situation, you'd push Mr. Messi to the front line because yeah. the bullets would go, go through, through, you know. It'd be, it'd be like Terminator. It'd be like, the one I object to is Mr. Snowman because I don't think that should be allowed into... There's a Mr. Snow. Yeah. And he's just a snowman. He's on cocaine. Well, he's not okay, but he's a snowman. That's not part of the Mr. Man universe. Yeah, is it? not at all. No. I don't know, don't know if that became before or after the Raymond Briggs snowman. Oh yeah. And know, also, there's, in. there's uh, only so many adjectives. Uh, <laughs> so many words that can be Mr. Well, there's Mr. Mr. Silly and there's Mr. Funny, and they're sort of the same thing. Yeah. Just so one of them's got a hat on. They're running out there, so they're yeah. going to need uh, some new words they to be are. invented in yeah. recent times then. <laughs> you know, Mr. Um, what's a, well, let's try and think of a, a new... Mr. Me Too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, Mr. Me Too yeah. could be, uh, th that, that'll sell well. <laughs> Well, we didn't come here just to talk about the Mr. Men, but, you know, we can. <laughs> we can. We can. Mr. Was, Mr. Methane. Mr. Methane. Mr. Methane was not one of the Mr. Men. He wasn't. He was, he used to fart uh, tunes. Yeah. Did, would you have seen him? I was on with him, yeah, I was on with him. He was still going in uh, the 2000s. I think he might have been going since then. And what, uh, would, he, would his tunes be decipherable? Would um, you... Could you do? Was well, it like I mean, name yeah, that tune? Yeah, he wouldn't. I think if they hadn't been decipherable, he would have been. He'd have been booed off, wouldn't he? People, 
He's a man who he could he could suck air into his anus. That's how he did it. He could uh, suck air in. I thought he and then he yeah. no, and then he and he farted out. So they were actually odorless farts, I believe. Would you have to use this, this, presumably you'd have to use the same mic after him though? <laughs> I did do a gig with him. I, you know, I did a gig with him, and I was really ill the next day. But I don't know if it was, I think I don't think it was connected. In the, the one that I from my first ever Edinburgh in 1999, where I defeated Josie Long in the Channel Four New Comedy Awards, um, that she beat me the same year in the BBC Comedy Awards. Okay. So it's a running feud yeah. we've had for 20 years now. Um, I recall. And, and I still don't know if this was a fever dream, but I went to Leighton Live, and there was a lady on a swing who was peeing in a bucket, and as the swing moved, she could adjust the strength right. of the pee. So most of it went in the bucket. <laughs> like not, I'm sure not all of it did. Yeah. And then Sean Locke had to come on and just stand <laughs> in the pee and do, he didn't like that. do he didn't, jokes. He'd have enjoyed that. Yeah, but it's, it was the late 90s. This was... Yeah. This that was sounds like a very much like a late 80s. There was things when I started in the late 80s that were like that, like the Iceman. There was someone who did some kind of vulva-based... There was, the, there was the a lady who uh, shot paint out of her butthole onto canvases. There was, yeah, there was that as well. That was a bit later. Yeah. Too. It's tricky on that, because where do you go next year with the show. <laughs> I mean, it'd be good if she honed the craft such that she moved away from abstracts <laughs> into quite specific things. So someone would be like, the hey, Wayne, and you would just yeah. fire out famous paintings would just come well, straight out. she could just out. do a very realistic picture of a poo. That would be quite good. <laughs> yeah. Just very... Meta. Yeah, made of poo as well. Whoa, oh, yeah. no. No, that would be too far. <laughs> good. Um, good. <laughs> You've been in a film with Keith Allen, my friend Keith Allen, um, which your brother, who I also know your brother from a long time ago, back in 97, your brother was a stand-up before. Yeah, my brother before, was really funny, yeah. yeah but so he's, right, what is he, he's a writer now, he did this film. Yeah, he's, he writes movies yeah. and he does bits and pieces of um, acting yeah. and uh, the odd voiceover, that sort of thing. He was a brilliant stand-up. Dylan yeah. Moran always says my brother was his favorite stand-up. My brother was a sort of non-sequiturs, one-liner, in the 10 years he did stand-up, he never said hello or good evening to an audience. He would just open with, <laughs> if you touch an electric fence on purpose, does it still count as a shock? Just straight <laughs> in. He had, about, he had about 40 of those perfect, yeah. perfect jokes. And he used to assemble stuff while he was on stage. That was his thing. He would assemble flat pack furniture, or he'd go to a shop, and a second-hand shop, and buy an old saxophone and just be putting it together the yeah. whole time and then just play one note at the end or whatever. But, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I do, I realize that I came into a slightly, I was luckier than you would have been when you were starting. I said there, was, there wasn't much of an alternative scene then. So my brother was assembling things on stage at gigs in Newcastle where people were like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. There wasn't really an alternative circuit. I mean, there was Lee and Herring, you know what I mean? But then there was just the circuit. Yeah. And uh, so he, he used to take bad... He, he, there was a, he did a weekend in the Hyena 
where he was booed off once, did okay once, and got a standing ovation once. Yeah, yeah. And he said, that's, a, that's a, an away draw. Let's just leave it there. And, yeah, he never did stand up again. Oh, that's then. a shame. He's, he, was, he was really good. But, yeah, I mean, again, your jokes are... Ex- I was watching... Uh, I think there's a bit of you on the live at the Apollo, and there's a few various bits. There's some the great thing from the Melbourne Festival. I mean, there's the music you do as well, but the actual jokes are very beautifully crafted and and again it's similar to your brother stuff i think in that, that way that you think no one else would think of that but it's such a great observation you know what i mean so it is it is that it's, it's a it, I'm, I'm in a huge ad- admiration for your ability to come up with that that way of looking at the world i have one create. i've got one proper joke in the new show okay. but i don't mind putting it on the podcast because okay. i love the podcast it's that um i say that uh sure the singer is backstage and she's married she's recently got married to ross noble the comedian and that's why she just uses her first name. Because <laughs> it'd be too bleak. It would be topical, but quite bleak, to be honest. Um, and so the new show is, is called Ultrasound? Yeah, I, I, um, I didn't think... It, so the first joke I ever wrote when I was 12 was who are the most decent people in the hospital? The ultrasound people. <laughs> and they were hassling me for a title for this show at about yeah. Christmas. So I was like, I'll call it that. But I think the problem with it... So I like it in that it's seemingly profound, yeah. as in you imagine it's an ultrasound scan of maybe one's personality. But I think a lot of people think it's a t- story about how my girlfriend's pregnant okay. or something. Okay. But no, it's absolutely not. It's just, <laughs> I like the idea of talking is a sound and it's a cool sound, yeah. AKA an ultrasound. Okay. <laughs> and there's, there was a great song, which I don't want to talk about too much. I'm sure it's based on a true story. There's a song from you did in Melbourne, which maybe is in the show about the mouse, a mouse problem you had. Yeah. I, Is that in the show? Yeah, it's uh, the, the plumber came. I had a mouse problem. And the plumber came about nine months later because the taps were just at a low dripping point. And he, he just turned on the tap. He goes, do you have a mouse problem in this house in, in, nine months ago? And I was like, oh, holy shit, no. Oh, no. And so they, um, if you get rent to kill, they put down um, the 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 bait that dehydrates them so they go outside to search for water but if they can't get outside they smell the tank in the attic if you have an uncovered victorian house and they all like this this would be every flat in edinburgh and they all make their way up and dive into it and drown and nine months later their bodies have dissolved so they're just skeletons and the skeletons get sucked into the top of the pipe and slow down the like it's, yeah, and he's just like it's incredibly common <laughs> so you've been drinking mouse juice for the last nine months yeah. is what, that's, not know. many people would think of turning that into a song though <laughs> I mean I, I saw a gap in the market there's enough songs about love there's a, a couple of football songs there's one you, song about snooker when that happened though when the plumber said that was I mean part of you must be oh my god what was what's in my inside me but also part of you must be thinking this is going to be a good routine or this is going to be Uh, good for comedy no it was only in retrospect because i've always been terrified of mice (laughs) right so when he told me it was purest darkest fear and loathing but then in coming to terms with it and realizing that my own dna is now (laughs) over 90 percent mouse that if I have managed to have an offspring at some point, they'll probably have a tail. Uh, it was around that. I actually, I don't think I'm as scared of mice anymore because I know I've drunk over a thousand of them. <laughs> it's, 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 it's up on YouTube if you don't get a chance to see the show, but do go and see uh, David's show. Unfortunately, we're going to have to... 
Yeah, but you might, if you're in London or if I come somewhere where you are, we must come uh, and do a full... Can I give a shout-out yes. to um, a man... I once... My oven... I love fixing things, and I knew my oven wasn't dead, but the guy had come from the shop where I got, and he goes, oh, yeah, I can't fix this. So I just put a thing on Facebook, and I said, can anyone fix an oven, like a proper engineer? And a man responded in a Facebook Messenger, and his main thing was, yeah, I love Richard Herring's podcast. <laughs> okay. You should do that sometime. His name was Dave. And I okay. said, okay, I'll do it sometime. And he's like, then I'll fix your oven. <laughs> so he came to fix, his name is Dave Manners, okay. which is a brilliant name. A good name. Sounds like a Mr. Man. Mr. Manners. <laughs> Mr. Manners. And uh, he came and I'm still baking away thanks Great. to this podcast wow. and that man. Oh, good. I don't feel bad about not paying you now. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please go and see the fantastic David O'Donny. We are back tomorrow with John Robbins and Snorlag Ludwigstotter. So do come and see that. Please come and see these shows again. Thank you much, so very much for coming. Uh, do come if you're at home. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm going to be at the front selling books. Bye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa at the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Newtown Theatre and The Stand and everyone at GoFasterStripe.com. The producer is James Hingley. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz at GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to Rahalastapa.co.uk to find out more. RichardHerring.com slash gigs to find out who my guests are for the rest of the run.